Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Your Voice First podcast. If you'd like to learn more, find us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and every other social platform at Voice First AI. Welcome back. We're joined today with Columbus's up-and-coming news organization, Matter News. We've got one of the co-founders, Marissa Twig, joining us today. Marissa, welcome to the show. Hi, Pat. Thanks so much for having me on, and, and we're really glad to be here today. I saw that Matter News is Columbus's only woman-owned independent news nonprofit. So first off, I wanted to congratulate you on, one, being a woman-owned business, and two, continuing to lead Columbus by example, especially in these unknown times. I've continuously turned to Matter News for the latest updates for policing. You guys helped me to understand uh, where I could go for protesting. Mm. Cassie was an awesome help. And I I just wanted to share kudos there before we got started. Uh, First question for you guys. I know that you guys are fundraising now. Yes. Why are you guys fundraising? Yeah, great question. So uh, we are uh, an independent nonprofit startup. So we are in, uh, I believe it's year two of operation right now, uh, which is really exciting for us. So our second birthday uh, was actually like November 1st or November 2nd. Um, and normally we'd have a, a big uh, kind of fundraising uh, party, essentially get together, um, celebrating local news. Uh, but, you know, with this year's COVID-19 uh, pandemic that, you know, we kind of you know, turn things virtual. So the reason we're fundraising um, is because we have the opportunity to be a part of Newsmatch, which is a national gift matching fundraising campaign specifically for nonprofit news. Um, So there's not uh, much else that kind of exists uh, in in terms of, you know, gift matching campaigns uh, for news generally. So just the opportunity to be involved with uh, a program like Newsmatch uh, that has so much financial backing um, is immense. So the way that Newsmatch works is that every donation, every one, a single one-time donation we get uh, is actually doubled at absolutely no cost to uh, you, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, and the uh, other positive of this is that any new monthly donor, uh, so if you sign up for a recurring donation, um, is also matched throughout the entire year, so all 12 months, um, at no cost to you. So we're, we fundraise uh, and apply to Newsmatch each year to take advantage of that gift matching um, because it, it not only, you know, it, it helps uh, the donations that we normally receive go so much further. And so this is kind of our annual fundraising time in November and December um, where we really take advantage of that opportunity. And ultimately, all of those funds um, go directly to, you know, producing the content um, that, you know, we, we we create to help hold those in power accountable. And, and not only that, but to help uncover and explain, you know, not just what you see day to day, you know, for instance, with policing, you know, in the streets, like at protests, but also the the more root causes of what's going on, uh, you know, the long term history of how and why things got to be where they're at today. And so um, fun, you know, all donations, at, not all of them, but a good portion of our donations go towards producing that content. Um, also, it goes towards, you know, helping keep our reporters safe uh, with things like legal fees, making sure that we have our legal ducks in a row um, as as a new independent, you know, startup uh, nonprofit, uh, there's a lot that goes into that, and especially um, a lot that goes into keeping our journalists protected and safe. Um, you know, both from the legal uh, standpoint and from a public uh, health standpoint. Uh, you know, so a lot those donations also go go towards you know protecting our journalists when they're out reporting. You know, being able to give them uh, PPE that is is going to keep them safe, um, and also being able to invest in new technology. Uh, that allows us uh, to maybe do things, you know, a little more remotely, but still have that personal touch, uh, as well as uh, just other innovative technologies that we'll, uh, I think, probably talk about a little bit later, too. So, yeah. So you're telling me that if I start a monthly donation of even something as low as $10 a month, that would get matched 100% for the next 12 months. So it would be an extra $120 that's going to matter news. Yeah, absolutely. So if you started, yeah, 100%. And that's why it is so, you know, this time is so crucial for us to really try. And I know it's so hard right now for everyone. Uh, It's a tough time. 
um, for everyone individually and collectively um, and, you know, for news too. But uh, now is really the time uh, to help make those donations go so much further. And that, that, you know, monthly membership match is really incredible because, um, you know, uh, you're doubling, you know, your, your monthly donation at no cost, uh, which is really fantastic. I've seen some of the leaders of Columbus, such as Jay Klaus. I saw that he kind of started doubling his donation. And as a business leader in Columbus, I think it is really important to have an impact on local news. So I think after this, I'll start a donation. I'm not sure what the amount will be, but I'll start and follow his lead and do a monthly donation because I really, uh, I've appreciated the content you guys create and our in-house animator, Khalil Newton, also works on your guys' team. So there's a little bit of overlap there in terms of creating teams. So sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so Khalil is, is always producing with you guys, and I love what he creates. And if, if, if any of that is going to producing more of the content, I would love to see it go there. Um, how have you found the response to be from Columbus so far? Uh, so far, the response has been pretty, pretty good. I mean, it's definitely, you know, and I've talked about this with other folks, but it's, it's hard to cut through the noise, um, I think, of what all is going on. You know, there's a, so much going on on the Internet and us being a digital only publication right now uh, can make it a little difficult to kind of get our name out there. Uh, but we're growing and uh, the people of Columbus have really showed up for us. And I it, it makes it, it I don't know, it makes my heart so warm um, because, you know, we've received an outpouring of love and support and donations and and just kudos from people who you know people uh have told us that their our coverage you know especially this summer from the protest has made them feel safer and having a direct line to see what's going on you know when we were covering the protest more on the ground having a direct line to see that has made people you know, feel safer. They, they feel like they know what's going on and they don't get a secondhand account of, of what's going on because they're seeing it directly, you know, um, rather than, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the typical role of a journalist, which can be to kind of, cheer, you know, pick what is the top news. You know, you have a deadline, you got to get that story out. Um, but what we, what we really tried to do over the summer was just give folks a direct line to see what was going on. And we were met with a lot of positive feedback. Um, and for our develop us, um, so we have two different investigations right now. One is develop us, which is our uh, kind of founding investigation where we're looking into city development and kind of economic growth and the process of change to, you know, our businesses, our communities, our neighborhoods over time. Uh, and our second investigation is called crossing the line, which is looking at, uh, policing, uh, and human rights kind of issues and violations within Columbus and central Ohio, Ohio. And so, um, with that, uh, both of those uh, investigations have, have received pretty good feedback. And we even, for some of our Develop Us content, um, had uh, city officials uh, reach out to us. Um, the former development director for Columbus, oh my goodness, I am absolutely blanking on his name right now. Um, but he had emailed us and, you know, we did a piece on uh, historic commissions. And if they're, you know, uh, preserving history or pricing people out is kind of the question we posed and explored within the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like a very nuanced issue that, you know, he said, like, his office struggled to kind of explain that. And it's difficult to kind of explain like, okay, well, if you want historic preservation to happen, that costs a lot of money. And so it, to some extent, you have to be able to, you know, capital uh, in the way that it's, uh, you know, uh, passed and stored and, and you know, spent. Um it looks a little different in historic neighborhoods and it can ultimately price people out in the process. And so being able to just explain some of that nuance within our city, uh, people have really appreciated that. And, and rather than kind of this cut and dry, here's the who, the what, the when, um, and, and, you know, a little bit of the how, but really looking at the, the backstory and people, you know, I, people really want that. And so we're trying to serve that up here in the city. The majority of our listeners are uh, on the West Coast in some of the big tech hubs like Silicon Valley and Seattle. Mm-hmm. And I personally lived out in Seattle when I worked at Amazon a couple of years ago. And I remember living there and I was paying $2,100 a month rent for a studio while I was looking at people that were living on the streets that had been born and raised in the city. So this this issue, I feel like exists, This I don't know if you would call it gentrification, yeah. but the influx of money that comes when a company like Amazon can pay people like me 2000 bucks a month to live in a house. And then the people that were born and raised in the city are living on the streets. 
I moved in and I didn't really have a say, but it, it feels like right now this issue is very pressing in Columbus. And I really appreciate that you guys are doing the reporting because a lot of it doesn't go reported. It goes under the radar. And the fact that we can create the conversation and ask those questions and say, what is it that we want? Columbus is a hotbed. Yeah. What do we want to do with this city? Hey, people that were born and raised here, what is it that we're trying to create? Let's be intentional with this decision instead of being at the mercy of other companies, other politicians, other any other uh, entity that could be playing into what is the future of Columbus. So my next question for you, why do you feel that Columbus is important? We, we both have this mm. shared love of Ohio and of Columbus. We both have headquarters here in Columbus. Yeah. Why, for Matter News, why is Columbus important? Um, well, I think that you'd get a different response uh, from each of our co-founders, definitely. So I, I think I'll kind of talk about my perspective through a Matter News lens, if that makes sense. Um, for me, personally, um, I think Columbus is important because, you know, it's it's been reported in the past that it is the number two most economically segregated city in the nation, as well as the 14th largest city in the nation, surpassing, you know, it's the kind of Columbus metropolitan area surpassing the size of San Francisco, uh, you know, just the city itself. And, and so that kind of stark contrast of like, wow, we have a, we're a pretty big city, you know, comparatively uh, across the nation. And we have this huge hotbed of, of economic segregation. You know, that opens up a world of, of issues that need to be discussed and need to be uh, investigated with more nuance and, and context. Um, and so uh, when Jalen Grisso, uh, who is uh, another one of our co-founders, she had kind of hopped around reporting um, all across uh, the United States, honestly, from New York to Montana, her kind of home state uh, out there in Montana and Wyoming, as well as uh, for the Honolulu Civil Beat uh, in uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, which is another nonprofit news org. And so you know, she kind of had this plethora of experiences where she was seeing, you know, the nonprofit side of things or the corporate ownership side of things and looking at all of that. And then, you know, decided to uh, come back to Columbus after, you know, these experiences and settled down here and really found that there weren't many investigative opportunities here in this city uh, for journalists. Uh, the kind of job market is pretty small. There's not a lot of, I, I really don't think there's many, uh, if any, uh, investigative only non like newsrooms here uh, in central Ohio. Uh, and so she decided uh, to kind of just create her own and fill that market gap that was there. And ultimately through that process, you know, also, you know, had fallen in love with the city and whatnot. And so for us, you know, looking at some of these statistics, you know, being the largest city, uh, you know, a large city in the nation and also having that high rate of economic segregation and also seeing, you know, this past summer, um, these uprisings over racial injustice that has happened, you know, from many in every city in, you know, the nation likely, uh, but really has been an ongoing issue here in Columbus. And so um, with all of this in mind, uh, being able to provide uh, independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan uh, news to the city, uh, you know, there's definitely a gap there uh, in that kind of model and process and the way that information is presented, you know, through that kind of a nonprofit independent lens. And so, uh, you know, Cassie and Jay Lynn, they were the original two co-founders and I kind of came on a little bit later. Um, you know, they decided that this is the perfect spot, you know, given all of that and that the people of the city really deserve, uh, you know, more nuanced in humanizing uh, coverage of what's going on, not only on the ground here in the city, but how everything came to be, as I've kind of explained here and there. Mm -hmm. Columbus is, is a very interesting city for, for me as a tech company founder. I like that it's a tech hub and that it's very close to OSU. Yeah. So I can pull students and a lot of our employees are students from Ohio State, as well as the low cost for us to run our business out of here. I'm curious, how has Columbus been developing? Like, you're the perfect mind to be picking for this because you guys are doing the reporting on the developing of the city. For people that are listening to this from outside of the city who don't really know much about the growth of Columbus, and how would you say that the city has been developing or like, what, what would you say is a brief summary of 
the recent developments in Columbus, Ohio? Yeah, so the city is preparing for a massive influx of people over the next several decades. So they have an Insight 2050 plan um, that they've had for quite some time out now, I think uh, a decade or more. They've been kind of studying the growth uh, of the central Ohio area, which includes, um, I think, something like six or eight counties uh, in kind of a overall. And this is out of the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning uh, Commission, MORPSI. And so over Overall, the, the city is, like I said, preparing for a huge influx of, of folks to the city, um, largely coming from, you know, coastal cities or cities that are have high rates of um, are, are sorry, excuse me, more expensive to kind of live on. And, and relative to all of those other places, uh, those coastal cities, you know, your New York City to your Los Angeles and whatnot, um, Columbus is relatively affordable for people from those areas. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, you know, we're reporting also about the people who live here now, and that's really important. And so on the flip side of that, while it is relatively affor affordable compared to uh, coastal cities, it is growing increasingly unaffordable for those people already living here in the city. So we've seen, you know, like mm -hmm. right, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, but housing prices are still skyrocketing and they've been going up and up um, for the past several years. Various neighborhoods in Columbus um, I've been some, have seen some of the hottest, uh, you know, housing uh, markets, uh, you know, it, across the nation. And they've been featured in, you know, Realtor.com and all of these different places. And it's um, it's been really interesting to see that kind of growth and also see the influx of people coming. Um, and so, uh, you know, affordable housing, there have been some developments there, um, but things are really slow uh, to come about. You know, construction costs, one of the biggest drivers of uh, you know, housing in general is construction costs and construction costs, developers have been saying, are going up significantly. And so because of that, that's caused the price of not just, you know, market rate housing, but affordable housing to go up, too. And so it makes it more difficult for, you know, advocates and developers who are trying to create affordable housing to actually do so. Um, there's also a lot of red tape around that sort of thing, uh, which, you know, a lot of people complain of very cookie cutter affordable housing projects. That's because there's a lot of red tape and a lot of, you know, legal policy around maximizing the uh, kind of number of tenants and affordability in each uh, uh, building, in each apartment complex or affordable housing unit. Uh, and so overall, um, you know, the city is growing. It's growing quickly. Uh, the last, you know, kind of big statistic that Morpsey, uh, the planning commission that I was talking about, <clears throat> has said is that it's growing by roughly 120 people per day. And they've been saying that for five or so years now. Uh, and so the city is growing. It's also, as you said, you know, a big tech hub. I actually worked for a company called NG, uh, which is a sustainable energy uh, and uh, kind of just all around energy company based in France. And so they partnered with Ohio State uh, in a big public private partnership, uh, kind of the first of its kind in the nation, actually. And they are creating an energy and innovation advancement hub. You know, there's a big energy tech center going there. You know, there's the the Smart Columbus Innovation Hub, uh, you know, all of these different uh when it comes to stuff like that, the city is also growing in, in those realms as well, not just by the number of people and the number of, you know, new restaurants and businesses coming to town, but also it's, you know, it was uh, named, I think, one of the top places for women to start a business across the entire country, which we've found success here being able to start our business. Mm -hmm. And I've even started my own, uh, you know, photography business and had success with that. And, you know, it is, a, there's, there's a good amount of connections here and people are willing to kind of support each other. You know, they kind of talk about the Columbus way a lot. Um, but that is not only just a, you know, uh, kind of political or economic uh, saying, there's a lot of people just generally who are here to um, help other people, uh, you know, make it here in the city. So um, in terms of that aspect, I think it's uh, really fantastic and is growing, you know, very positively in that realm. But at the same note, that can leave people out. There is, uh, and, and I'm sure you've heard of it, you know, the knowledge economy, um, which is what a lot of cities are, a lot of big cities are gravitating towards. So Columbus used to be, you know, uh, more of a factory kind of area, had some uh, other uh, industries like that. And now we're seeing uh, a bit of a kind of a divergence between what kind of um, economic growth we're seeing here, right? We're seeing kind of two things. We're seeing a lot of... Uh, 
Whew, excuse me. We're seeing a lot of uh, like shipping and e-commerce and and kind of um, uh, businesses like that. Um, specifically, looking at areas um, uh, more on the. Uh, uh, ooh, I lost what word I was going to use. More on the outskirts um, of Columbus. Uh, you know, looking at places like Obets um, and kind of Groveport area with all of the development uh, that's going over there. They, you know, have there's Amazon places popping up. You know. Google and um, uh, Apple are investing in data centers here um, because, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. uh, climate change and whatnot, we have some of, you know, Ohio and central Ohio in particular has some of the most stable kind of climate uh, across the country. So you're seeing a lot of that kind of economic development and growth happening as well. And then on the knowledge economy side, you're seeing more tech happening. You're seeing more, uh, you know, startups happening here. You're seeing, you know, there's a big influx of students. There's several colleges in the area and a lot of students end up staying and, uh, you know, working here. So you're seeing this kind of change in demographics a little bit um, that I think is really interesting. You said a lot of good stuff there. I, I, I totally agree. We've seen, especially during the pandemic, a mass exodus away from the coast, especially Silicon mm-hmm. Valley and LA. They're, they've seen a massive decline and people are leaving there for more affordable areas. Just just this morning, I think it was uh, Wall Street Journal I was listening to. People are leaving tech companies and they're moving to Utah. They're moving to Ohio. They're moving out of the valley because remote work is becoming more and more possible and Ohio is an awesome area for that and yeah we have seen a lot of different companies coming in and especially tech companies coming in and growing for the knowledge economy I'm curious of your thoughts on how we should be preparing Mm -hmm. because in my mind I'm I'm thinking okay this is an awesome city I as a business owner want to put my business here because it's low cost Now, as you say, the more people that are here, the less affordable it becomes for an individual to be here. So I'm thinking, okay, if I'm a Silicon Valley company, like I'm lucky, I was born and raised in Ohio. This is my home. I I was born here. If you're a Silicon Valley company and you're like, well, Silicon Valley, not necessarily, you don't have to be in Silicon Valley to reap the benefits of the Silicon Valley company. What if we move our company into Ohio? If that company is listening right now, do you think that businesses should be changing their focus in terms of moving here? Is it a good thing for businesses to be moving here or should are like, I guess my question is, should Columbus be preparing from an internal focus or an out, uh, external focus? Should the city be making it harder for these companies to move their headquarters here and to have uh, annexes here or, uh, should the companies out there second guess moving to Columbus and a piece of advice that you might have to offer to them? Um, great questions. Um, uh, so to start, um, so the city is kind of incentivizing, I'll, I'll kind of start with some facts. So the city is incentivizing people to start to, to build their businesses here. You know, a lot of folks will point to, you know, tax abatements um, as a big incentive to drive business. You know, we saw uh, Columbus extend over, I think it was 2.8 million or 2.8 billion. I, I want to double check that number because I'm not remembering which it was uh, in terms of tax incentives and other incentives to put their second headquarters here. Right. So you are seeing cities like kind of turn head over heel trying to get and scramble for um, some of these bigger companies to come and invest here. Uh, that's a double edged sword for sure. Um, and I think you know, my personal opinion, uh, it's definitely a balance, right? Uh, in order to grow, uh, Columbus is in order to keep up kind of with the economies of other cities uh, and, and see itself. Because at the end of the day, a city is a business. Um, they kind of operate very similarly mm-hmm. to a business. Uh, they, they need profits to be able to continue, uh, you know, producing things, whether that's uh, opportunities for their residents or other ways to make more money. Uh, you know, they're, they have to keep uh, kind of incentivizing that kind of development and, and profit growth, right? Um, and so, In terms of, you know, what the city should do, it should definitely be a balance, right? Because there are people who have been spending their entire lives investing their blood, sweat and tears into this city who are finding it absolutely difficult uh, to to survive here and to thrive here. But then you have other people who are coming in with way more financial capital um, and coming into, you know, a place that is super affordable, uh, you know, to them uh, and kind of... uh, 
taking up some of those resources uh, that may end up, you know, may have been going to, uh, you know, uh, folks that uh, maybe have lower incomes or are more disenfranchised here in the city. And so it's, it's definitely a balance. And the city, I think, to some extent, is trying to do that. They've made some significant investments in affordable housing. Um, I think they had a new budget announcement for, for their 2021 budget, um, uh, talking about, some, uh, I think, $113 million investment in affordable housing. Um, but also, they have this big plan um, that actually Khalil Newton is uh, producing a podcast and series of videos on uh, called the Corner Concepts Plan. And that is a huge comprehensive plan that looks at everything from transportation to housing to business growth, um, even things like, uh, you know, urbanism and walkability and whatnot in our neighborhoods. And so essentially that plan, um, again, this was uh, kind of funded and, and put on by MORPC, the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission. And that plan uh, will concentrate uh, I think it's like 60% of businesses and around 40% of housing on five corridors in Columbus. So essentially, they're going to make those five corridors, um, which include, you know, like Broad Street, uh, uh, you know, going west towards Hilltop and Franklinton and out of the city, you know, one going towards Lancaster, um, you know, out of Main Street, out of the city. Um, and then, you know, some others going towards the New Albany area. And then I believe the Dublin area. And there's one more that I think I'm missing. Um, but those areas are going to see essentially mid-rise like uh, buildings, a, a complete scale up for all five of those corridors, all along those corridors of what uh, it basically it's going to look more like downtown or the short north across all of those things. So mid mid level housing. And so the city is trying to get ahead of this curve. And it under, they know that, you know, there's going to be this big influx of people, um, and especially from the coast. The issue is a lot of what they've, you know, we've, we've been digging into this plan and a lot of what they've focused on is market rate, um, which is a bit concerning uh, because we kind of, I don't really think the city has a huge holistic plan in the same way for affordable housing. Like they do, you know, in terms of the whole kind of city as a whole developing, if that makes sense. So they have this big holistic corridor concepts plan for all of business growth and all of transportation and all of housing, but we're not seeing a holistic approach to affordable housing. And I think that, you know, is really, really going to be key moving forward. Um, and I think that that is something the city should, should be looking into, um, you know, more holistically is is putting together a comprehensive plan. You know, okay, we have, we know how many people we think are going to be coming into the city, we also know how many people are here, and especially with the COVID-19 pandemic, evictions are at an all-time high right now, and it's really alarming. Um, we did, some, actually, our editor-in-chief, Jalen Grisso, did um, some uh, great uh, both problem reporting and solutions reporting on and kind of what some of that looked like early on in the pandemic. Um, but, you know, there's there's still people struggling. There's still not housing assistance uh, for folks. And I live in the Hilltop neighborhood uh, of, of Columbus, and so, you know, Shout out. Oh, hello. Shout out all Westsiders. Uh, that's awesome. Um, I'm always excited to find another Westsider because I feel like they're, you know, sometimes far and few between, but I'm finding more and more. It's growing so fast. Yeah, I live right off. I My other business, uh, Sweets Treats, is we run it out of the Westgate Farmer's Market. So like a real local no business way. in the oh West Side. Gosh, I love the Hilltop Farmer's Market. They're so, oh my gosh. Like the, the Highland Youth Garden is so great. And I just want to meet all of them and all the cool work that they're doing. So, wow, we'll have to connect uh, sometime over that too. Sure. Yeah. So it, it sounds like Columbus is that I didn't know that they were doing over a hundred million dollars for affordable housing, but it, it sounds like they've got money coming in for affordable housing. And they're also doing the other side of the equation, making it a more valuable city by incentivizing new companies coming in with tax breaks, low costs, other incentives. So it sounds like they are trying to work on both sides of that, but it seems like Matter News is hitting, uh, is saying that there's more that could be done. So I'm curious what what you think more could be done. Is it do we need more into that budget over that hundred million dollars for affordable housing? What what's that extra step to to kind of maintain that balance between wanting to welcome in the new businesses while also increasing that affordable housing so that the people that are already here can Absolutely. continue to be here. So. Um... The city has kind of 
taken some interesting steps in particular neighborhoods uh, where it has kind of done these holistic, uh, you know, studies and looking at, you know, demographics and rates of inequality uh, in whether that's housing or employment or, you know, racial inequality uh, and, you uh, you know, stratifying that with things like transportation and, uh, you know, income and things like that. So in these neighborhoods, they've, you know, Hilltop just had uh, the release of uh, the Hilltop, uh, Hilltop Community Plan. Um, that's not the full uh, phrase, but essentially there's a big plan in Hilltop and a big plan in Linden um, that look at, you know, the one Linden plan uh, is what it's called in Linden. And so these two look at these neighborhoods individually. Uh, these two neighborhoods were chosen because they're, you know, much higher risk right now. There's a lot uh, more of these kind of nuanced issues happening, you know, from crime and drugs to just lack of opportunity in general. I personally think that the city, uh, you know, needs to invest more in those plans. So they announced the Hilltop plan, I believe, in maybe January or February of this year. Uh, and there was there there wasn't much money behind the plan. Um, some of the things that have funding have been, you know, kind of minor street improvements, some things like traffic signs and updating sidewalks, um, kind of that basic infrastructure. There's funding for that, but Mayor Ginther is calling, you know, in his announcement of the plan, called on private investors and developers to kind of come forward and put, you know, funding into the hilltop. And well, yeah, we do need some of that, you know, uh, private investment here. What we really need is investment from the city. The city has been the one who has historically disinvested and intentionally disinvested in these these areas like the Hilltop and like uh, Linden, you know, goes all the way back to redlining and, you know, preventing black folks from uh, receiving home loans. And those ripple effects still extend today. And so uh, at the end of the day, I think the city needs to be throwing more money behind uh, what it says it's going to do, which is in these neighborhood plans that they've created. You know, Franklinton even has a development plan. But, you know, what's interesting about Franklinton in particular um, and, you know, a source that I've spoke to, his name is Jim Sweeney, and he is uh, kind of the... The man behind 400 West Rich and uh, a lot of the Franklin art scene. At the same time, he also invested and created a lot of affordable housing in Franklinton through the low income uh, housing tax credit, short for li or LIHTC for short. And so I spoke to him a while ago and, you know, he talked about Franklinton in particular and said, you know, people are really upset that Franklinton is developing. But, um, you know, there's this thing called, and you've probably heard of this, the bid rent curve, which essentially says uh, in economics that um, <clears throat> the closer you are to the downtown kind of economic center of a city, uh, the more likely those neighborhoods are going to develop. Uh, and gentrify. And so that's what we're seeing in Franklinton mm -hmm. is those are, you know, that is directly next to downtown. And, you know, after the building, of the flood wall, I think in 03 or 04, um, you know, people were able to reinvest in the housing here. But what ends up happening is you have a lot of investors who buy property in these kind of desolate areas, these areas that have been purposefully disinvested in, um, they buy property and they hold on to it until it's profitable at a rate that they like, rather than intentionally investing in what the community needs at that moment. What Franklinton needs is affordable housing mm -hmm. for the people that live there. People are starting, people are getting kicked out of their housing because they can't afford their property taxes anymore. Um, and so I feel like I'm kind of going down a, a rabbit hole of this. But ultimately, I think at the end of the day, the city should be putting more money behind these plans that it's putting out there for its residents. Um, and, you know, a lot of folks are, are disheartened by the fact that there is not financing behind a lot of this, uh, these plans for their neighborhood. And people feel like the city has kind of abandoned them in, in some extent. And so um, it's really important to be able to talk about these issues uh, and, and kind of bring that information and, and kind of context to light. It sounds like some of the, the leaders, like the Mayor Ginther, as you were saying, is is focusing more on getting that external help inside of these neighborhoods instead of focusing on the internal, hey, we can do this, saying, no, we need help from the outside and trying to create that vacuum of bringing in the opportunity, which mm -hmm. is that double-edged sword. So you guys are a digital-only company. There's no print, mm -hmm. which awesome. I love that digital focus. We need more of those businesses in Columbus that are adapting to the yeah. future instead of falling into the past. I'm curious of kind of the technology 
stack that you guys are using. Um, I don't know if you are the necessarily best person to talk to about it, but what are kind of some of the different tech pieces that Matter News has implemented for the distribution yes. of news? Um, so specifically for distribution, um, so tech that we kind of use, um, so in terms of our internal processes, you know, we, we try to, you know, be innovative and use kind of new stuff that's coming out. So one thing, one program that I really love and uh, is Airtable. And so Airtable is kind of this new uh, Excel database-like thing that gives you so much functionality uh, and, and allows you to kind of connect information like ways you've never connected before, um, you know, even with an Excel spreadsheet. And so um, this helps us strategize uh, the content that we're creating. It helps us uh, create a more cohesive uh, plan between, uh, you know, both the story and website content and social media content that we're producing, as well as our event strategy. Um, and also just gives us a way better way of tracking things and automating a lot of our processes. So we've turned to automation as a really big tool that has helped us save time. It's helped us save energy and money. Um, and automation is, is so helpful. So we, we've been able to, you know, do everything from auto scheduling social media posts, which is, you know, a pretty simple one to, you know, connecting our Slack to our Airtable to our QuickBooks to, uh, kind of everything that we can really do. And Jalen Grisso is, uh, our other co-founder, she is fantastic at all of that stuff and has really um, been the one driving some of those innovative changes in, in our processes. Um, I don't know if I entirely answered your question in the way that you were hoping, uh, but I'm, yeah, yeah, I think that's. <laughs> you're doing great so far. There's a good jumping point. So you mentioned Airtable and you're now able to start using more of that tracking. Like one of the things that we get from digital is an ability to track. You guys are now a digital only company. So everything that you do is being tracked on some platform. How have you guys been using that data to, uh, how have you guys been using that data within your company to whether that's understanding how your listeners and your readers are consuming news or understanding what stories to report on or um, knowing what platforms to publish on. Like, I'm curious how you guys are using data within the company to understand Absolutely. where to focus um, your energy. So, yeah, to start, we we definitely use it to figure out, uh, you know, what are some of the things that we want to uh, report on in the future? Um, you know, tr being able to uh, look at this information that we're receiving from folks who are viewing our content, uh, you know, being able to see what people respond to, what people, you know... It, because we're we try to be very intentional about the way that we write things and you know try not to have super clickbaity headlines and and try to make sure that we're accurately telling the story and so but that also involves a little bit of kind of testing and, and figuring out what works uh with our audience in particular and our audience um what we've learned through this state you know audience metrics are a big thing that we definitely use data for as well and um we've you know learned that our audience uh is very millennial heavy i would say our average age uh, is uh, in the 20, the 24 to kind of 35 range. Um, I'm so sorry. I am um, uh, taking care of my younger brothers who are 12 and uh, 11 and 12 while my parents, uh, my dad is a healthcare worker. And so I'm in my younger brother is um, very high risk. And so I'm taking care of them, which means I kind of have a full house right now. So I'm trying to keep everyone as quiet as I can. So I so apologize <laughs> for that. Everyone's in the same boat. Everyone is, everyone's having their kids at home. Uh, everyone's having to deal with that kind of stuff. We're all doing podcasts from home. So I'm curious of that audio. Let's kind of tack on, you just got interrupted because of the audio. I'm curious how Matter News is using audio within their brand. Uh, you guys are now doing this podcast push, which I think is genius. Mm -hmm. You're going around to different podcasts, right? Um, kind of get on and distribute in that audio way. When you guys are creating news, how would you say that audio plays into that? Would you say that in news reporting, uh, you guys are mostly stuck to text based releasing articles or uh, focusing on podcasts? Like you guys have all the data to see the engagement on each of these different platforms. And I'd be happy to share the data from this podcast to show how your users and listeners are tuning into this podcast. How have you found like the audio contributes to news um. reporting? Great question. So 
I'll start with kind of some of the ways that we use audio and it, the core number one way that we use audio is to humanize uh, the people that we're talking about, um, you know, whether that's through audio that's in a podcast or audio in a video. Um, the people uh, at the in these stories are, are, you know, really the heart of what we do. At the end of the day, we're public servants and we want to make sure we're serving the community. And the best way we can do that is to humanize our coverage as much as possible. And so. Um, well, we have, uh, you know, historically produced m many more articles. Um, we've been in kind of this, you know, fundraising and uh, organization building stage of our startup phase, right? And so we're getting ready to transition to um, a more multimedia approach. And now we've done uh, a mini documentary, we've done some social media videos, we've done some animation here and there, um, but we're really looking to move forward and create more multimedia holistic uh, projects and investigations. Um, and you'll be seeing that um, with uh, here soon uh, with uh, the Quarter Concepts podcast that I was talking about with Khalil Newton. Um, and so, you know, being able to, uh, bring in more voices into the reporting, uh, I think, you know, just gives, you know, when I'm listening to a podcast and it includes not just, you know, and it's a story kind of podcast, you're a news podcast, um, being able to bring in the people that I'm interviewing into these, sec you know, these podcast episodes is so important because it just, it brings you in as the 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 listener into the reporting process. You get a kind of direct listen into what this interview was like. And I think making the report, you know, a bit, another big part of it is making the trans, the, the reporting process transparent. Um, and so we want to, you know, moving forward, mm -hmm. a lot of the things that we're going to try to do with uh, some of our interviews and other content that we're producing is, you know, just creating Q and A's, um, Q and A podcast episodes with our sources um, and just publishing that information, you know, straight for everyone to see and say, hey, these are the questions we asked. Um, so you have full transparency over our process, as well as full transparency from whoever we're interviewing. Um, and, you know, not only from a uh, kind of public service account or, you know, public accountability perspective, but also just from, you know, talking to everyday people kind of perspective and making sure that we're able to give Power, you know, give those voices a seat at the table, uh, especially those unheard and diverse voices um, that don't get a seat at the table normally. Um, and also audio is just, you know, it's one of those ways that people can develop a connection and a relationship with um, not only the people in the stories, but also us. We want to be as accessible as journalists uh, as possible. We want to make sure that we are meeting our community where they're at. If you're if you're a podcast person, OK, we want to get to know you. We want to make sure that we are serving your needs in this city. Um, mm -hmm. If you're someone who, you know, your primary way of mm -hmm. processing information is through video. We want to help make sure we're meeting you where you're at with what your needs are in terms of video, right? And so we want to open that kind of, we want to we use audio as a way to also open up that direct line of communication between us and the people we're trying to serve, which are essentially our neighbors. You know, I'm trying to serve the people here in Hilltop. I'm trying to serve the people, you know, throughout the city um, with what we're doing. And so audio definitely plays a big role in both humanizing uh, what we're doing and making transparent uh, what we're doing. Two of the things I really like that you said there, one, the humanizing aspect, I agree 100%. Uh, I run voice technology and VoiceBot, a company based out of Seattle, has released data that says if a voice assistant on Amazon Alexa has a human voiceover actor, the uh, satisfaction from the end users goes up 70% than if it is a synthetic voice like an Alexa or a Google Assistant. So and when I listen to my news in the morning, the first thing I do when I wake up is I say, um, I'm going to say, hey, homie, because if <laughs> I don't want to set off people's devices at home. Hey, homie, good morning. And then it immediately starts playing through, here's my... Uh, Wall Street Journal tech, here's my tech crunch, here's my wired, and I hear the reporters and I hear audio and then I'm brushing my teeth, I'm going to the bathroom, I can continue doing what I'm doing and I'm not interrupted. Now, is that the only way I consume news? No, I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, is podcast the only way I consume news? No, I do also when I'm sitting on a bus or if I'm in between doing tasks, I'll scroll through a feed and I will read an article where I'm totally engaged in reading that. But it's also nice to have that hybrid where it's like, Hey, 
We're making the news accessible. If you want to read our articles and you want to be fully present, great. If you're a mom at home folding your laundry and you're taking care of the kids and you want to have your headphones in and listening to this podcast, either way, Matter News is there getting you the content that you need. And also that accessibility of not everybody in Columbus has sight Mm -hmm. to be able to read your articles. So doing these podcasts, I think, is a really good idea for you guys to make your content accessible for your listeners. I don't want to call them readers. Your uh, <laughs> yeah, your listeners. Yeah, the, your listeners. You're making it accessible to people yeah. who don't necessarily have that ability. Like, uh, so I'm curious of your guys' strategy moving forward. Do you guys think for your audio strategy, you'll do a lot of this? Hey, there's a lot of podcasts in Columbus. There's no need for us to create our own podcast. We'll just continue to jump around to each of these podcasts and do these little news releases on other people's podcasts or, Hey, we have our own voice. We have our own brand. We need to establish our own voice presence. We need our own podcast. Khalil, you're doing a great job with what you're doing with your podcast. After Khalil's, you guys are going to continue to have your own podcast. Like, what do you think the strategy will be? audio while audio yeah so i think uh, you're gonna see it more in kind of our everyday coverage um you know so we are very we're more long form the things that we produce are uh not just kind of breaking news or spot news it's 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 looking more holistically at things so a lot of the content we end up producing is a little more uh, is is much longer to consume right um and so within that um you know we want to start you know, adding in, and I've seen so many organizations do, you know, news organizations do this, adding in, uh, you know, direct interviews and and having, you know, where you would have a quote from a source uh, or, you know, an interviewee, um, instead putting in a little sound bar and having folks click play and say, you know, listen in their own words, uh, what they're saying, rather than this kind of quote that we would cherry pick, uh, you know, theoretically, uh, to put into that story. Um, But just listening to these people unfiltered about what they're saying uh, Mm -hmm. within the story that is also has, you know, a bunch of extra information, right? also, we are uh, strategizing more uh, uh, cohesive projects. So, you know, I keep bringing back, uh, bringing up uh, Khalil's project. So that project actually started out as a video project um, where he was going to do an animated kind of series and stand up on um, uh, the core concepts. But after looking at our scripts, we, you know, he suggested this is, you know, you know, kind of might be better in podcast form. And, and so what we're going to do with that is take the podcast, which is going to break down a lot of the technical information um, with, you know, within the quarter concepts, um, you know, and there's there'll be like five or six episodes, you know, looking at each kind of aspect from housing, transportation and business and whatnot. Um, and then also uh, within that, picking out uh, different instances where, OK, maybe this, you know, maybe tax abatements need explained a little bit more in depth. And so creating a video around that, um, that kind of, you know, expands upon what that specific thing is to kind of give people more context. Um, and so really the biggest strategy is kind of just integrating it into a lot of what we're doing. We are also in the process of producing um, our own uh, podcast called Unbreaking News. Uh, And so this is actually ran out of our parent company, uh, which is Gray Matter Media. So a little bit of kind of organizational uh, jargon here. Gray Matter Media is our nonprofit parent company. And so um, that is kind of, uh, so Matter News is a publication out of Gray Matter Media. Um, So we run and operate as a nonprofit. Um, And so uh, Gray Matter Media, uh, our parent company, will be producing the Unbreaking News podcast. Um, that's more of that kind of brand. Looking, Gray Matter Media kind of mm. looks um, even further, you know, looks not just at what's going on uh, in terms of local issues, but also looks at locally what's happening with the press, what's happening with the media. Um, because re- research has shown um, that, A, first of all, local news is declining, um, both from consolidation uh, and conglomeration, you know, these bigger companies buying out other bigger companies, and then everyone, you know, a bunch of people get cut or furloughed and whatnot in the process. Um, and also, people are just less likely to pay for a subscription to local news these days because they can get most of it for free. It sounds like, and tell me if I'm wrong, Gray Matter will have a podcast, which will, Gray Matter will have the, they'll have a branch down for an audio form, but 
is matter more of the the text based and then there will be another branch off which will be more of an audio um, form i think or, i probably is, was is that correct confusing essentially gray matter media uh is producing the unbreaking news podcast um which will be on you know looking at uh facets of the news industry you know from local news to corporate ownership to what is what are the ethics of a fund of funding models right um and looking at things like you know diversity in the newsroom and what ob objectivity even really means so kind of that um, um, you know, industry knowledge and trying to expand that to the public. Uh, where I was going with this originally was that, um, you know, research shows that when, you know, people believe, uh, the majority of people believe that news is, you know, local news is doing financially well. Um, actually, only 6% of people got it right, which is that local news is not doing well financially. And so, Research has shown that when people are informed of the actual problems and the vulnerabilities and the you know struggle of local news organizations, they're more likely to support that, um, whether that's through a subscription or a donation. And we're seeing um, this kind of, you know, there's trends of older folks are more likely to buy a subscription to something like a newspaper, but younger folks are more likely to donate uh, or, you know, commit to a monthly sustaining membership um, than uh, older folks. So you're seeing, um, you know, a lot of younger folks looking at this kind of civic uh, aspect of it and looking at it as like, oh, this is a public good, not a product kind of idea. And I think a lot more people are buying into that. And so um, in terms of our strategy, we're really trying to kind of put that information out there through this podcast. Um, and in addition, we'll have, you know, I think kind of serial like uh, podcasts coming out directly related to our content, whether that's development or policing. So um, there are plans mm. for, you know, we have, um, it's called Cornering Stores, a podcast on gentrification, uh, crime and development in Wineland Park. We've been trying to get that podcast going, uh, you know, since the inception of Matter. Um, we just haven't been able to mm. really uh, kind of get a hold of the capital and funding really required to support that project. Um, and so the story of it is, uh, you know, there was a uh, woman named Aiden Testfay who uh, owned a property that operated as a local corner store in uh, Wyland Park, um, which is kind of just off of OSU campus and Short North, kind of in between that area. Uh, and so she owned this property and she was deemed a public nuisance uh, by uh, the city of Columbus uh, and her the business was forced to close um, and because it was a quote hot spot of you know criminal activity. And while there was some criminal activity, the one of the major reasons why the place was shut down was because of underage alcohol sales. Now this business was is literally blocks away from the Ohio State University campus. Uh, I was an Ohio State University student. I know what goes on in those campus bars. And why, you know, an immigrant owned, you know, she was from Eritrea, um, you know, moved here to Columbus to own this property and start businesses um, and a woman and, and her business, you know, she was forced to sell the property, demolish the property. Um, and so we were going to look into that kind of nuanced subject of, you know, there's a lot that goes into these kind of decisions when it comes to crime and gentrification. I mean, Wineland Park has been a hot spot of, uh, you know, uh, development, both on the affordable housing side and on the market rate housing side. Um, and so that is something that, you know, I personally would, you know, I really want to get back to producing that podcast. That was actually an investigation that I was spearheading. Um, but ultimately, mm -hmm. you know, we need probably 10 grand to be able to produce that podcast um, in a way that, you know, is going to be uh, extremely fruitful and beneficial for the community. And we just don't really have the funds to be able to pursue that, which is really unfortunate at the moment. So we're fundraising to, you know, pr try to produce that in the future. Yeah. 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 So it, do you think you'll be doing more of those kind of micro podcasts of, Hey, Khalil's going to create a micro series and publish that you got the Wineland Park series, you'll create and publish that kind of micro series instead instead of having one that, hey, this is the Matter News podcast and we're always going to be reporting every week. You guys kind of taking that strategy of, hey, we're going to do, we're going to have a topic, a theme around the podcast. It might be a 10 episode series and then we'll release that 10 episode series and then we might not have a podcast for a while. 
And then we'll have another podcast. And this is the focus of it. It's a very it, focused podcast on a specific. Yeah, topic. I think so. The, is, I think is, that is definitely the way that, that we're going to move forward for now. Um, I think in the future, you know, I think the unbreaking news is going to be something that's a little more, you know, longstanding, kind of monthly or biweekly. Um, but for the rest of our, uh, you know, local news coverage, it's it is probably going to be, you know, more of that kind of series, one off series uh, reporting, just because that's what our team is really capable of doing right now and accomplishing. Um, once we're able to expand our team and kind of grow and, and get some more uh, solidified, uh, you know, get a, get grow a larger staff. We have several contributors and whatnot, but in terms of staff, uh, we're, we're pretty small. We have about four people who kind of work on this, you know, full or part-time. Uh, and so uh, that is, you know, it just, it just makes it a little bit more difficult for some of that longevity uh, type work uh, in podcasting, um, you know, with us, you know, four, uh, three co-founders and our other editor, Tommy, that we recently hired uh, to cover our policing investigation. Um, I think that definitely the series of po- the, the podcast series will be uh, the strategy moving forward. Now, it, I wouldn't be honoring this podcast if I didn't ask about artificial intelligence. Is it is it safe to say that your biggest foray into artificial intelligence is on social media? Or are you guys leveraging any other AI technologies, mm-hmm. whether that's Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, um, any analysis or web crawlers? You, you mentioned some automation. Is there any other tools that, that matter is using AI-wise? Or would you say social media and leveraging that kind of distribution channel where the AI says, hey, Matter News posted something new on social media, and then everybody in the world minimizing and bringing that content directly to who needs it. Is, uh, is social media the biggest use of AI or are there other technologies that you guys are using? I would say social media is definitely the biggest use of uh, AI in terms of what we do. Um, the other thing is probably transcriptions, kind of just a basic tenant of journalism is transcribing interviews and um, just turning that audio into, you know, copy, text mm-hmm. copy. Um, and so we've been able to use, to leverage some of those, uh, you know, Happy Scribe, I think is the platform that we use where you just upload, you um, an audio file and it will auto transcribe everything and even tell you who's speaking. Like you get to, you know, write in those names and it'll automatically fill that out. So that's another thing um, that I think another, um, and this is another social media uh, aspect, but we've been looking into geolocating um, on social media and being able to, you know, especially with the policing and protests pinpoint where things are happening, when things are happening, who they're happening to um, by using some of these, uh, and I don't know if geolocating is necessarily AI. I'll be, I'll be, you know, fully transparent. I'm not even, and I, I cannot say I am very educated on mm. artificial intelligence. So, if you have other examples of things that you know might be common, I'd love to hear what some of those are, and maybe we do kind of use those in our processes. And I'm just not familiar with it being AI. <laughs> I like how you guys are using uh, the, the transcription. That's a major. You don't. You, you in the past you would hire someone to go and do your transcriptions and you would pay them either an hourly rate or you would pay them per word transcribe. And now you guys are leveraging that technology yeah. to, to, you don't have to have mm-hmm. someone do that, right? Maybe, maybe so you can do the transcriptions, right? It is so right? much time. And because so, otherwise, um, you know, it, it could take, you know, for an hour long interview, it could take, you know, an hour and a half to two hours just to, you know, type that out yourself. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you still, we still have deadlines and we've got, you know, deadlines to make and, and stories to serve. And so um, being able to cut down on that time, uh, you know, and especially as a nonprofit helps us maximize like what we're able to do with our budget. The audio transcription, it really, as a nonprofit, allows us to stretch our budget and maximize our budget even further by, you know, cutting down on the time it takes me as an hourly employee to do things. Um, and so I would say that, you know, being able to adopt technologies like that, that save us time, um, has been really, really beneficial. Marissa, I've loved having you on, and we definitely need to uh, yes. do more stuff in the Hilltop area moving, moving forward. What's the biggest ask? I'd say right now our user metrics say that we have about 20% of our listeners come from Columbus and about 60% of our listeners come from Silicon Valley and the Seattle area. What would you say is your biggest ask for listeners of this podcast? If they were going to act on one thing after listening to this, if you could ask them to do something, Honestly, my what biggest would you say ask is your is biggest to ask? set up a, you know, maybe $10 or $20 a monthly donation to Matter News uh, because that a monthly donors are the 
or the people that, you know, and every donation helps us, but monthly donors help sustain us every month and, and allow us to, you know, kind of, it, it, it just keeps the longevity of matter, uh, you know, allows our longevity to go so much further um, because those sustaining members, it's constant income for us, you know, both from Newsmatch and the matching donations, but also we have money coming in every month. And um, that just helps us grow, helps us sustain our processes. And what we're doing with those funds is reinvesting those into, uh, you, you know, uh, creators here in the city, journalists here in the city um, and providing new opportunities. And so if, if, you know, if, if people uh, we're, we're trying to fundraise um, about, uh, you know, before matches $7,500, um, but we have an $8,500 budget shortfall this year because the match cap uh, for Newsmatch last year was $20,000. And this year it's $11,000. Uh, $11,500. So we have $8,500 to make up. Um, so if we could get, you know, everyone in our Columbus network to uh, donate $10 a month, um, you know, that would help us reach that cap and make up for that budget shortfall uh, tremendously. So that would be my biggest ask. Now, I'll include any links that you have inside of the show notes for people to directly donate. How can people find you guys, whether that's on social media or online? For people that are listening, how can they start following along, yeah, get sure. closer to our that donation and, and stay connected and with Matter? Our social media is at Matter News underscore. Uh, and you can find us um, on you know Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook uh, on all those uh, platforms. We're also on Twitch uh, where we do live coverage and YouTube where we do live coverage. Um, and yeah, our DMs, uh, our emails are always open. You can email hello at matternews.org or you can email me directly at marissa, M-A-R-I-S-A, at matternews.org. Uh, and we, we'd love to chat. We'd love to connect with you. We want people involved in our process and, and we want to connect with uh, folks here in Columbus. Marissa, thank you so much for all that you guys are doing at Matter and everything that you ladies are doing leading that organization to help Columbus grow in a way that's good, not only for the big tech companies and other companies that are coming in, but also for the local people that have been born and raised in the Columbus area. Thank you so much, Pat. Thank, thank you, you for, for what you do. Thank you for joining and, me today. Uh, for this great dialogue. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Your Voice First podcast. If you'd like to learn more, find us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and every other social platform at Voice First AI.